The reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 21. It's page 984 in the Church Bible, the Key Bible. Matthew 16, Peter's confession of Christ. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Thanks be to God for his word. Andy will now come and open that passage for us. Well, I tell you, it's an enormous joy and an enormous privilege to be with you uh, here on this particular day, special day for you as a church family. And... uh, some of your smiles will need to be surgically removed, I think. There's that sense of great joy. You're buzzing uh, with this wonderful provision that you have. Can I just say well done? Well done for this uh, superb work uh, that's here that you've put together. Uh, but equally, can I just say this is pretty weird? Really, it is. This doesn't make sense. This goes against all the stereotypes that we read about and that we know about. A growing church in a modern building? No, it can't be. You see, to most people, their idea of church is a declining bunch of aged and intellectually stunted inadequates who are just going through the meaningless rituals until the last one of them has died off and then the church is shut up and is used uh, as a tire replacement uh, depot. And indeed, if you're aware of what goes on in the media, you will know that the media has been advising uh, Christian church just to accept its inevitable decline gracefully. But here you are. But here you are. Of course, actually, the statistical reality of religious life in the UK is quite startling. In the 2011 census for England and Wales, let me just give you some stats, 59.3% 
of the usual resident population. That means uh, a number of, that is 33.2 million people at that last census identified themselves as Christian. Uh, Muslims made up the second largest religious group with 4.8% of the population. Uh, in total, that's 2.7 million people. And a quarter of the population, actually 25.1%, that is 14.1 million people, reported that they had no religion. Between 2001 and 2011, there was a decrease in the proportion of people who identify as Christian, one of the sharpest declines uh, that we've seen statistically. Uh, it dropped from 71.7% to 59.3%. No, no Christian affiliation. And there was an increase in those reporting no religion. It went up from 14.8% to 25.1%. And there were increases in the other main religious group categories. For example, the number of Muslims increasing the most. They went from 3% in the population to 4.8% in the population. It is estimated now that church-going evangelicals form 2.9% of the population in our Land. And just to give you some sort of bigger picture of how that's happening in Europe as a whole, in 1900, Europe's evangelicals constituted 45% of the world's evangelicals. In 2000, it was 4%, and it's estimated to be less than 2% by the year 2050. And actually, this is reflected in church attendance patterns. Forgive me, it won't all be stats, but it helps illustrate the point that we need to get hold of. This morning, between 2005-2010, numbers attending Catholic churches dropped by 12%. Attending Methodist churches dropped by 14%. Attending Baptist Union churches dropped by 5%. Anglican churches dropped by 5%. And Presbyterian churches had the largest drop. They dropped by 19%. That is over a period of five years. Whereas in that same period of time, there is some good news. Pentecostal churches grew by 27%. New churches grew by 12%. Orthodox churches grew by 5%. And FIEC churches, and uh, uh, that is what I, I represent, what you guys understand, uh, they grew by 15%. So understand this, as you are here in this new building, let us set ourselves in the context of what is going on in our lands at this time. What we're seeing is the death of nominal church going in this country. And that's a good thing. It's also the reason why all the main denominations are shrinking rapidly. But if anyone cared to look more closely at the research being done, they would see that those church groups who are committed to the word of God, those church groups therefore that are evangelical in their belief and outlook are actually growing in size and in number. And in fact, what we see here with you folks uh, in Long Crenton is repeated actually in many churches across our land. Those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and declare his truth with boldness and relevance. I think we'd also want to point out that this statistical picture is a UK picture. Actually, the global picture is that the Christian church 
is growing faster today than it has ever done before. Probably more people will come to faith in Jesus Christ today than on any other day in human history. Probably. In our world today, more people will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour than on any other day in human history. And in Africa and South America and large parts of Asia, the growth of the Christian church is nothing less than phenomenal. And my concern this morning is that what's happening in this country, in the UK, can shape the way that we look at church. It can produce a particular mindset amongst us. And as we celebrate today the provision of these wonderful new facilities that you have here, I want us to make sure that no one here develops a ghetto mentality. You know, if, if I could explain it in that way, it's like one of the scenes from a, a Western movie. You, you, you've seen these Westerns, haven't you? The Indians are attacking, so what do they do? The, the wagons are circled tightly together. And the Indians swoop around the outside, attacking, firing their arrows. The settlers are on the inside, firing their guns. And they're just hanging on. They know that if they can hang on until the third reel, the cavalry will come charging over the hill to rescue them. But the mentality, the outlook is, let's just protect ourselves. Let's hold on as long as we can, and maybe rescue will come. And that's just the way... Some Christian people think it's a ghetto mentality, what we might call a fortress mentality. They're here to survive. They're here to hold on, you know, either for revival or for the second coming. They don't mind which, but they will hold on. And their favourite verse has been Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it's their favourite verse because it seems to give them the picture that they will be able to withstand the siege. You know, let's keep the uh, wagons circled. Don't worry, hang on, the cavalry is coming. The trouble is, that just doesn't make sense. Either in the image that it paints or actually in the proper use of the Greek word that is used in that verse. You see, the Greek word for overcome has to be translated according to its context. And the picture here is not a set of gates attacking the church, which makes no sense at all, but rather the gates, and and again, if you you know anything about your history, you'll know that even in this land, let alone lands in in the Middle East, the, the gates were the key points. If you wanted to take a town, if you wanted to take a city, you had to take the gates. The gates had the door in. So if you could take the gates, you, you had the city. And, and the picture is, therefore, it's the gates which are being attacked and destroyed. It is the church that is having victory over the kingdom of Satan. So the better translation of the verse reads, I think, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand up before it. Now, do you see how that dramatically alters how this verse should be understood? This doesn't provide comfort for the timid. Rather, it gives encouragement to the brave. It's not a picture of the church family grimly hanging on for dear life, but rather of the church as an attacking army, certain of victory as we serve the King of Kings. 
You see, this, this church is not a hideaway. It's not here to be an historical curiosity or a site of antiquity which may be useful for the tourist industry of people who sort of gone off the beaten track of Oxford and all oh, look at that old church. Ready to give you their dollars for it. You know, it's not here to provide a throwback to a culture that's long gone where weak people find solace in outdated practices. No, it's here like an attacking outpost. We want to see shells of gospel grace and Christian love exploding all over the areas that Satan has previously held. We are here, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, we are here to liberate the captives. And we need to have that confident mindset that is shaped by the biblical truths of God's sovereign purposes, not by the prevailing pessimism of the age. Look, all I, all I want to, to do is just say three things about this victory that we celebrate today. We are celebrating the victory of King Jesus. First of all, celebrate the victory that has been won. Celebrate the victory that has been won. I talked about Western movies, you're probably aware of other movies, where the baddie gets shot and, and you know they're dying. Some of the sort I'm going back here, but James Cagney movies, sort of the gangster movies, you know, they get shot, there's this shootout and they get shot. And, and you know they're dead, you, you know they haven't got long, but what do they do while they're dying? You know, they just are there with the machine gun and as they fall to the ground, they're spraying the bullets around as much as they can to take as many down with them. And can I say, that's how it is with the age in which we live. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has inflicted a fatal wound from which God-rejecting powers will never recover. They're defeated. And what we're witnessing are the final death throes as they thrash about seeking to take down as many as they can. And so sin's guilty grip and the fear of death and the arrogance of sleep, uh, the arrogance of self, it enslaves millions around the world. But Christ, has won. He has shattered the bars of the prison. As Wesley put it, long my prison spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. I have the victory in Jesus Christ. Little wonder Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 54, he said this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory! Because of what Jesus did. Or in Romans 6, verses 22 to 23, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is victory, there is freedom. You see, that's why we meet on a Sunday. Why are we here on a Sunday? Because it's resurrection day. It is the day of victory. One of the truths that is centred to our meeting together is that Jesus Christ is alive. The grave could not hold him. He died. 
there on that cross, really died, was really laid in that tomb, and on that third morning the stone was rolled away, not to let him out, but so that the witnesses could look in and see that death didn't have the final say. Jesus Christ is alive. We serve a risen Saviour. Our hope is absolutely certain in who he is and what he has done. That's why we meet on a resurrection day, a victory day. And that's why we worship with joy. Why do we sing these great songs with, with, with gusto? It is because we're forgiven rebels. So many of us here, really every one of us, to some degree or another, we had screwed up lives. We were failures. We were lost. We were doing nothing. We were going nowhere. All we were going to was an eternity lost without Christ under his judgment, right judgment. But, but God in his grace and mercy, he found us, he got a hold of us, he rescued us, he, he turned our lives around, he gave us the faith to trust in Jesus Christ and in, in doing so we, we knew that made all the difference and I had a purpose in living and I had a, a freedom and I know the God who made all, made all things and holds all things together and, and we sing with joy because we're meeting with, with others who have experienced that as well. Victory. And that's why we declare the good news with passion to others. That's why you are here, to make known the good news of Jesus Christ to people in Long Crendon and beyond, because here is the message of victory. You know, there may even be folks here in this place, and maybe, again, can I say, I don't know, this is the first time I've been to the building, and if it's your first time to the building, well, you're like me. We're seeing this together. But, but maybe for you, 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 you don't know this, and you say, wow, I'd like that. Maybe you've been disappointed by all that life has thrown at you. Maybe you've made your money and you've had the position and you've had the power and you are here and you say, it hasn't satisfied. I've still got an empty soul. I know there is more and, and I know there is something that lies ahead. Maybe some of you here are absolutely burdened down with, with, with guilt. There's stuff that other people in this building know nothing about you, but you just know it yourself. And actually, you know in your heart of hearts that the living God knows about that. And, and you're here and you just feel that burden of guilt. And there are some of you here maybe and you're struggling with your health and you know maybe you haven't got that long to go. The years are ticking by and it just seems the clock gets faster and faster as the years pass. And you say, I'm not ready to die. Could I tell you the wonderful, glorious message that is proclaimed from this church, from the people here, is that Jesus Christ is the saviour of sinners and that he invites whoever you are to come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's why Jesus went to the cross. It's why we love to sing about the cross. Because you know what happened on the cross? The sin, the rebellion, the hell of failures like us that we deserve, it was put on Jesus. The alienation that we deserve, God had a plan. And it was his own son at such a cost, Jesus Christ, the darling of heaven, the sinless son of God, should come and in love take upon himself the sin of rebels and failures like us. Oh, the victory that has been won there at Calvary's cross. We want you to know that because it makes all the difference to us. It will make all the difference to you. But then secondly, I want us to celebrate the victory that is being won. Celebrate the victory that is being won. Jesus said, I will build my church. And though he began with just 11 weak and terrified men, within 280 years, the news of Jesus had conquered the known world. 
Though that early church was hounded and its followers were thrown to wild animals and they were burnt as living torches and they were killed by gladiators and they were skewered to crosses themselves, the church continued to grow. And even when centuries later it seemed that a corrupt church had extinguished that gospel light, the good news about Jesus, God was still working out his purposes. He was still building his church in England, Wycliffe. And again there are connections here. And his Lollard band of preachers, they roamed the country with God's word in the common tongue. You see people, ordinary people, they didn't get the Latin, but Wycliffe and his Lollard preachers, they went and they declared the good news of Jesus Christ. In Bohemia, Jan Hus and his followers did the same. And then Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and others to take up the fight later. And in England, great men such as Tyndale and Bilney and Hooper and Latimer and Ridley and Cranmer, again, connections. Not that far away from here, for many of these guys, they were prepared to die and they did for the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. God was raising up men and women to go on declaring the good news of Jesus Christ and the church went on being built. And even in the dark days of the 18th century when the effects of the Industrial Revolution were taking their toll and society was as corrupt as it probably ever has been, God raised up George Whitfield, he raised up the Wesleys, he raised up up others who revived his people and there was a great move uh, of God. I I love, I'm a Londoner I suppose, I was raised in London for the last 26 years, I've lived in Bristol and I just love the heritage we have in Bristol. There is a place in Bristol called Hannon Mount. If you know Bristol, maybe you've been up there. It's where Whitfield went to do open-air preaching. They didn't do open-air preaching in those days, but Whitfield thought, I've got to do this. He wasn't being given access to to the uh, Anglican pulpits of the land, and so he went out there. It's a raised pit, and and you can still stand there, and you can see the scene. There there was a lot of coal mining in, in Bristol. In fact, when we bought our house, our little terraced house, we had to have searches done because of the mining underneath, a big mining community and the stories of the miners, the Kingswood miners who came out and they were standing and they were hearing Whitfield preach about the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God and it's recorded how their faces still black from the coal dust and as they wept tears of repentance those white tracks were visible to the onlooker as he saw how God through people like Whitfield and the Wesleys was still building his church and raising others up. In the 19th century, great revivals came, particularly to Wales and to Ulster, and Spurgeon's sermons reached thousands. You think we have celebrity preachers today? I tell you, C.H. Spurgeon, not only was the prince of preachers, if I could say at the time, he's the prince of the celebrity preachers without the many defects we see in these guys today. And at the start of the last century, revival again swept through Wales in 1904 and went on to touch other parts of this land, as well as reinvigorating missionary endeavours that went all over the globe. And in 1920, a previous pastor of the church I pastored in Bristol was the man used by God in the last true revival seen in England, in in a place called Lowestoft. And today, just look at what has gone on in South Korea and China and Africa and South America and even what is happening in Eastern Europe. Again, let me encourage you with some statistics. I want you to understand that God is building his church and you're part of that. In 1900, Africa had 10 million Christians, which was about 10% of the population. By 2000, the number of Christians was 360 million, about half the population of the continent. 
we are told that this is probably the largest shift in religious affiliation that has ever occurred anywhere at any time. There are 17 million baptised members of the Anglican Church in Nigeria, compared with 2.8 million in the United States. Last Sunday, more Christian believers attended church in China than in all of so-called Christian Europe. Kenya has more people in Christian churches on Sunday than Canada. Last Sunday, more Presbyterians were in church in Ghana than in Scotland. There, go think about that. Now, we want to celebrate the victory that is being won. God is building his church. This, this wonderful message, this almighty God who's calling men and women to himself from whatever tribe, tongue, nation, background, experience who is at work rescuing the captives, who is at work giving life to the spiritually dead, who is at work opening the eyes of the spiritually blind. This God is doing his work. And brothers and sisters, we are part of that. But I want to close by saying this. Celebrate the victory that will be won. Celebrate the victory that will be won. Look, I want to remind you of truths that you know but truths that have to be rehearsed in our minds, repeatedly, time after time. Truths which have given hope down through the centuries. Truths which shine out like a bright beacon when it seems that the darkness is beginning to envelop us. Because though we struggle today, though as we look at our picture here, because we're in the UK, we're in this land where it seems so hard and so difficult in in this land where where gospel endeavour seems tough because many of you have witnessed in your workplace and in your neighbourhood and there's been so little response. The great hope of the believer is that Jesus is one day soon going to come back in glory and everyone will see him. And on that day, every single person will have to acknowledge that Jesus is King, that he is the Lord of Lords. When he comes again, as he most surely is. In fact, Kath and I were talking about this in the car as we were driving over here this morning. Every person over the whole panoply of human history will have to bend the knee to King Jesus, because he, there he is. He is revealed in his glory and in his wonder. And every time we'll have to say, he is Lord. There will be no atheists on that day. For some it will be with fear, as they recognise he is the one that they have rejected. For us, who know and love Lord, the Lord Jesus, it will be with gratitude. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're saving all your people. Thank you, not one of them is going to be lost. Thank you that you're going to be glorified and honoured. Thank you that you've built your church, that your church is going to be victorious. Thank you that you're going to gather all believers in from this sin-sodden world. And thank you that this sin-sodden world is going to be destroyed and renewed. And thank you that Satan will be forever punished. And thank you that the church is going to be presented perfect before you as a spotless bride. Oh, we get so many things wrong. We do so many wrong things. But thank you, Lord Jesus, in your glorious purposes, you are the God of history and you are going to present your church, you're going to present your people spotless on that final day. Remember those words, Revelation 21, 1-7. Let me just read them as I bring this to a close. 
where John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink, without cost, from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. My Christian brothers and sisters, what a salvation we've received Saved by God's grace. What a salvation that we're going to see perfectly accomplished when Jesus returns. And all the ache within our hearts, all the sin that we still feel, all the guilt that at times burdens us down, that is going to be dealt with and will be not even a memory in his kingdom. It will be for the glory of King Jesus, who alone is worthy. He's the one who's won the victory. My friends, we are on the victory side. And I don't say these things as some sort of sort of G up gesture. You know, here we are on a Sunday, you've got this wonderful building and so let's get someone who's just going to say some really positive things. This is the truth of Scripture. This is the overarching themes of Scripture. Understand this. God is building his church. And the gates of Hades are not going to be able to stand up against his advance. He is gathering his people in from every tribe and language and nation. I hope you're going to be here this evening because I'm going to be speaking again on this passage and speaking more about the missionary theme and thread that runs through all of this. And I want to say more about what it means for you as a church. Do come if you can. Maybe it's not your usual pattern. Why not break it to come out this evening at 6.30? Because we serve King Jesus. And he's worthy. He's worthy. To him be the honour and the glory. We're going to sing a song as we close. Church of God, elect and glorious. It's a song that calls us to be the people uh, that we really are. We'll remain standing as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your glorious purposes to save men and women for your glory and honour. We thank you for that plan of salvation. We thank you for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death and his resurrection and his victory. We thank you for the way that good news has reached the furthest parts of this globe. Father, it's even reached here. And we want to thank you for that good news that transforms us. Lord God, we pray for those of us who do know and love you, that we would live in that confident knowledge that we serve the King of Kings. And give us a boldness as we live for you in our communities and as we talk about you with our friends. And Father, for those here who who maybe don't know you, who are just looking, thinking, Sovereign God, would you come and would you conquer? And, And even this morning, would they surrender your heart to you? Father, thank you that your word declares it, it's glorious, but Father, on the other side, it can seem really scary. But please, by your Holy Spirit, bring such a longing and a king and a repentance that there is no alternative but to trust King Jesus. 
In whose name we ask these things. Amen.